0: So, brothers and sisters, last time we began uh, the proclamation of God's Word from Psalm 22, and we did so by thinking about the importance of reading, singing, and understanding the Psalms. We pointed out last time that we are a psalm-singing church. That hardly needs to be pointed out, uh, especially as we are also a church that sings the Psalms only. But we pointed that out, therefore, that we um, have a very real challenge before us. The challenge to study and understand the psalms that we are singing. Someone might say, well, if the challenge is there and and if the challenge is so very great, then maybe we just shouldn't sing the psalms. Uh, Maybe it's just too difficult to sing the psalms. But I would urge us to see it the other way around, so to speak. Because the Psalms can be challenging to sing, God's call to sing the Psalms doubles as his call to understand his word and to gain his truth. I have long appreciated uh, the words of King David when he when he said, uh, "I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing it's recorded in second samuel twenty four when when David was told to build an altar and to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and there was a a man by the name of uh, Aruna uh, who was called upon to help David with this endeavor uh, to build an altar on which to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and and given that David was you know the king, uh, and Aruna was just a, a subject, uh, the man Aruna offered to give to David even the oxen that were to be sacrificed. Bless his heart, but David replied to his kind offer with these words: "No, but." I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. The question for us, therefore, is how costly is our worship? Have you ever thought about this? And I I don't want to be insensitive because I know some of you pay a pretty high price to get yourselves and your children here. uh, Not only uh, Sunday morning, but uh, Sunday uh, evening uh, as well but the call of god is clear that that we should be dedicated each time we come to worship god to to worship him in a costly way and and, and and we don't necessarily need the story of David and Aruna in 2 Samuel 24 to convince us of this. We have, we have the knowledge of the very character of God, the goodness of God, the, the grace and mercy of God in the sacrifice of his own son for our salvation. In other words, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ to move us to say, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing it gets put this way in psalm 116 what shall i render to the lord for all his benefits to me i will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the lord i will pay my vows to the to the lord in the presence of all his people our worship of god is not optional It shouldn't be the matter of voluntary spirituality, we might say. But even as we worship God, at at the command of God, out of clear obligation, yet should we not do so with delight to worship the God who has saved us? And if that's the case, that we are worshiping a gracious and loving God who has taken us to be His people, the God who has lavished us with grace, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, then we ought to put much into our worship of God. And how much? Well, let us not slip back into some kind of ceremonial law, but, but at least as much as we can... When the kids are throwing up on Sunday morning, there will be limitations, right? But even with the allowance for children who are ill, or ourselves for that matter, let there be a a dedication within us to say with the psalmist, What shall I render to the Lord for all His goodness to me? I will pay my vows to the Lord. In the presence of all his people. And may the heart of David be found in each of us when he said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And so let us determine that what we sing with our tongues, we will sing from our hearts. And if it will come from our hearts, it must come from our minds. Our offering of sung praise to God surely must be an offering that we understand. There's an old saying that that nothing enters the sanctuary of the heart except through the vestibule of the mind. This saying makes use of uh, some old-fashioned, probably unfamiliar language. Uh, We still speak, I think, of the sanctuary, this room where we we worship God, but the vestibule, uh, what is that? The the vestibule is the entryway, uh, the, the space that you must pass through to get into the, the sanctuary. And the saying, again, goes like this, nothing enters the sanctuary of our hearts except through the vestibule of our minds. In other words, you can't believe it unless... You have knowledge of it. And the point of both knowing and believing is for the worship of God. So continuing with this uh, very worthy study, I, I hope you think so, uh, of Psalm 22 this evening, we come to verses 12 through 18. And, and uh, at this point, <clears throat> uh, let's just uh, face it head on that Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm prophesying the suffering of Christ. Let's make the first point, the the suffering of Christ. Uh, Like we said last time, Psalm 22 is so clearly uh, prophetic of the suffering of Christ that some scholars argue that that's all it does. Uh, In other words, it, it wasn't so much written out of David's own experience but was written by David exclusively to prophesy the suffering of Christ. Last time I argued, I I was sympathetic to that understanding, but I argued against that reading of Psalm 22. I think David was writing out of his own experience, although I do admit that it's hard to imagine what David was experiencing that would prompt him to write words like this. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Or, to bring us into our text for this evening, words like this, Many bulls encompassed me, strong bulls of Bashan surrounded me, they opened wide their mouths at me like ra- like a ravening and roaring lion. If David was writing out of his uh, his own experience, it was certainly a a bad day for David. Things must have been at almost an all-time low in his reign as king, although it could be that this psalm was inspired by David's experience before he, came, he became king, when he was uh, uh, still being pursued by Saul and by those who continued to support Saul. Whatever the experience of David, it would seem that everyone agrees that these words are prophetic but even in a prophetic sense there is much here that is difficult to understand the bulls of bashan wish i had a real clear answer for you on that so we we are not entirely sure what that means in the end it's a it's a combination of Animal images, the bulls of Bashan, met with the ravening and roaring lion. But together, as it describes the suffering of Christ, it it helps us to understand, indeed, what Christ suffered for us in his ministry, especially at the end, in his trial and upon the cross. I grew up with the Heidelberg Catechism, And I can't help but think here of question and answer 37, which asks concerning the Apostles' Creed, what do you understand by the word suffered? And it answers that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. So if that was the suffering of Christ, that that he suffered to sustain in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race, then, then how do you prophesy that experience? Even more, how do you portray it when it actually happened? This is something that we must understand about the suffering of Jesus on the cross that that it was far worse than can really be described for us but first of all Jesus was crucified which which uh, most scholars will agree was the worst form of capital punishment ever practiced by mankind then of course there are the details of his scourging, uh, his crown of thorns, uh, the mocking, uh, the ridicule. Uh, We have an expression of uh, kicking a man while he's down. Uh, or, Or it gets said that you pour water on a drowning man. In the end, it goes beyond any of that. It goes beyond the priest and the Levite passing passing by on the other side of the road. Instead, it's the image of the priest and the Levite walking up to the injured man and kicking him, yelling insults at him, heaping suffering upon suffering. And that's what we must understand about the suffering of Christ for us. It's interesting that the the gospel writers don't go into minute detail in their description of the suffering of Christ leading up to the cross or in the suffering of Christ on the cross. The Apostle Mel Gibson, I hope you know I'm being facetious, uh, the Apostle Mel Gibson in the movie he made called The Passion of Christ I allude to it. I don't recommend it. But otherwise, uh, there, uh, the attempt is made at something more of the, of the details. But otherwise, why don't we get more details concerning the, uh, the suffering of Christ, both leading up to the cross uh, as, as well as on the cross? Well, the answer, I think, is, is that it's finally indescribable which means that the account of our lord's crucifixion and and the visions of John recorded in revelation have something in common. In revelation we hear the apostle John trying trying struggling to describe for us what he what he saw. He was told to write down what he saw but but it was it was such a challenge that he was certainly not fully up to it. How do you, how do you describe what is heavenly? How, how do you describe what is eternal? The mind cannot grasp it, yet alone describe it to others. And this, the same thing is really true of the suffering of Christ. Yes, he was crucified, the worst form of execution ever practiced by man. Yes, he was whipped and beaten Spit upon, verbally mocked. Yes, he was abandoned by all, not least by his father who turned off the sun while he hung on the cross. But does that describe fully the suffering of Christ? It was finally indescribable. What is described in Scripture? in God's Word, is that Jesus was experiencing hell for us. He was suffering the removal of every last blessing of creation and life. Light was removed from Him. Remember this from last time we focused on this. Light was removed from Him. Air was removed from Him. Dry land was removed from Him. Companionship and support from others was removed from Him. Every blessing that God bestowed in creation was removed from Him, especially as He hung upon the cross. And, of course, life was removed from Him. And this is the sentence of death that God pronounced as the judge of all the earth. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, said God to Adam and Eve concerning the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus died to pay that debt, to satisfy that sentence, to pronounce, uh, or, or that sentence pronounced by God himself. Jesus died, which means that his heart quit beating, his lungs quit filling with air his blood quit flowing through his his body but as jesus died for us even the account of it that we are given makes it clear that he suffered hell for us which is to say he suffered the removal the withholding of every blessing from god upon mankind Although he was the only man who ever lived and walked the face of the earth who deserved to live and not die, yet he did die. And his suffering unto death was the suffering of hell. And that's what Psalm 22 attempts to prophesy. That's what the gospel writers attempt to describe. And that's really what only the Holy Spirit can can make us to understand in order that we might know and believe what has been done for us by our savior Jesus Christ next is the prayer of christ uh, recorded in verses 19 through 21 again uh, it is david's prayer i believe in the in the suffering that he was experiencing But although it might not be word for word, we we can recognize the prayers of our Lord in the the Garden of Gethsemane. David writes, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Last time we made much of the word yet uh, that leads off verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now we get another switchback, we might call it, uh, on the way up the mountainside in verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. On one hand, it was the prayer that Jesus prayed that wasn't answered. God couldn't have been more far off from Jesus than when he suffered and died upon the cross. Jesus was utterly forsaken by God on the cross. On the other hand, but the prayers of Jesus were answered by God in his resurrection. David prays that his soul would be delivered from the sword, that his precious life would be delivered from the power of the dog. Once again, we, we get animal Imagery here. First, it was bulls, the bulls of Bashan. Then it was the ravening and roaring lion. Now it's the dogs, and in verse twenty-one, um, the horns of the wild oxen. We love the creatures that God has uh, has made, at least until they become a threat to us, and uh, and so it makes sense that the image of animals should be used to describe the actions of wicked men. There is really, or that is really what sin is. People made in the image of God, capable in the beginning of living according to the knowledge of a holy God, people yet acting now like animals. The young person going out on a Friday night looking for sex is acting like a dog. The person who puts... His or her needs ahead of others is the wolf who growls and fights off contenders for food. The bull, the lion, the dog, the wild oxen who first thinks to kill rather than to be killed is the image of man in his sin. Rather than man bearing the image of God, the animals portray the actions of man especially as they dealt with Jesus in his suffering and death on the cross. And finally, then, the praise of Christ in verses 22 through 24. And this is, this is not Christ being praised, but Christ offering praise to his Father. Verse 22 and following I will tell of your name to my brothers. These, these are the words of Christ. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Here the parallel verse is, uh, is Hebrews 12, verse 2, which speaks of Jesus doing what he did, running his race, living, suffering, and dying for the joy that was set before him in order to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this too is prophetic in in Psalm 22, the the praise that David expresses for his deliverance. Whatever David was facing, he was apparently delivered because he lived to tell of it. He lived to tell of what turmoil and anguish he was in, what insurmountable trouble uh, he was in. And yet... And there's that word again, yet God delivered him. He cried to the Lord, be not far off from me. Oh, you my help, come quickly to my aid, deliver my soul, save me. And so God did. And the response of David was praise, praise to God. And it really is why God does all that he does. We say of God that He does all things for His glory, to get glory. But where is the only place? Think about this. Where is the only place where God's glory is lacking? It is certainly not in His eternal, essential being. It is certainly not in heaven before the angels who who worship Him day and night. Where is it? Where is it? is it that God lacks glory? It is in the heart of man. So that when God does all things for the sake of his glory, it also means that he acts for the good of his people so that by acting for the good of his people, he might draw from them the glory, the praise, the adoration that the human heart would otherwise deny Him. And so the praise of David at this point in uh, in Psalm 22 really becomes the praise of Christ. This is what Christ is, is, is doing yet today. He is telling of His Father's name to His brothers. In the midst of the congregation... He is praising God, which means, think about this, that it means that as we worship, as we praise God for the salvation Christ shares with us, so we are sharing as well in the praise of Christ. As Christ praises the Father, so we join with Him in offering that praise. Here is an amazing feature to our worship. That as we worship, we are joining our voice with the voice of Christ, praising God. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Christ's deliverance. From death and the grave is our deliverance from, the, from death and the grave. And even as Christ responds in praise to God, so we, along with Him, praise God as we share in His salvation. Thus far within Psalm 22, we'll continue on, the Lord willing. Uh, One more sermon. Uh, Look forward to that uh, next Sunday. Let's uh, close in prayer. We do thank you, Lord, for your word and uh, for how it tells us so clearly of Christ. It first does so by way of prophecy. Um, We thank you for this portion of your word that prophesies the the suffering of Christ. And we thank you for the testimony given by the gospel writers that indeed this was fulfilled. And uh, indeed... Uh, By way of his suffering for us, uh, we have salvation. May we uh, look to him in faith. May we trust him and his finished work for our salvation. May we join him in praising you, O God, for the great salvation that you have bestowed and that we share with Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.